You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. We're continuing with our series, The Gospel Explained. We'll look into Romans chapter 10 and we will zero in on our endeavors as a movement when it comes to world missions. Alright, so we will be reading from Romans chapter 10 verses 9 to 18. You can turn your Bibles with me. That's Romans chapter 10 verses 9 to 18. We are reading from the ESV. It says here, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In verse 10, it says here, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Let's look into this now. If you look at this passage, we're looking at Romans chapter 10. If you remember, last week we've covered Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. But that was merely a survey. So meaning to say we're looking at what it's all about. We said that it's all about the sovereignty of God. If you've joined us last Sunday today, we will zero in on Romans chapter 10. Technically, we'll just zero in on a portion of Romans chapter 10, all right? So specifically verses 9 to 18. Now, I've said this over and over again, that when you look at a passage, when you look at a certain text, a body of text, you have to observe some things that are recurring. You have to check out the theme of the passage that we are reading. Because that way, by doing that, specifically here in Romans chapter 10, we get to see what Paul is meaning to say, what he wanted to say to the church in Rome. Now, in this instance right here, it's quite interesting because the prominent word, remember last week, the prominent word is the word God, Israel. But this time around, the prominent word here is the word Lord. The word Lord here occurs four times in nine verses. So it gives us a picture that if you look at Romans chapter 10, verse 9 to 18, it's all about the Lordship of Jesus. All right, so if you're doing one-to-one, this is a good time to take down notes because you can share this with the one you're doing one-to-one with. Let me just talk about the gospel for a while quickly. You know, the gospel is like a multifaceted prism, meaning to say you can look at the gospel actually in different ways. You can look at it in different vantage points. For example, you can start preaching the gospel or talking about the gospel by looking at it in the vantage point of crucifixion. Tama? Minsan naman, you can start talking about the gospel or preach the gospel by looking at it in the vantage point of the incarnation of Christ. Or for many of us, We'd love to present the gospel in a comprehensive form. In this aspect right here, yes, Romans chapter 10 still, of course, talks about the gospel. But I'd like first to know that this passage right here zeroes in on two important facets of the gospel, which is the lordship and resurrection of Christ. Here's the big question, why? 
How are we able to say that? Why did we say that this is all about the Lordship and the resurrection of Christ? Where did we get that? Look at this. In verse 9, it says here, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, catch it? So the Lordship of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. If you're a Christian, this is important for us to understand that this is about the Lordship of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. Why is this important? This is important because if you read in the latter part of verse 9, it has a salvific bearing for every single one of us. This talks about our salvation. What does it mean? If you don't get it right, if you preach to someone and they don't get it right, Lordship and resurrection, then... The dangerous thing is, you might have just recruited them to a quote-unquote club or invited them to fellowship, but they have not really been saved. Catch it? It's important for us to preach lordship and the resurrection of Christ. For us Christians, it's important for us to understand and embrace what lordship and resurrection is all about. Why? Because it talks about our salvation. It says here, you will be saved. What is at stake here is our eternal destiny. Heaven or hell. That is how important this is. Alright? Now, here's how we're going to look at this. We're going to sort these verses out. And the manner at which we're going to talk about this is, we've sorted this out this way. First, we're going to talk about the verbal confession. Secondly, we're going to be talking about the internal commitment, which is found in the latter part of verse 9. And then we're going to look at the eternal consequence of the verbal confession and the internal commitment. Then after that, verses 11 to 13 talks about the biblical basis as to why Paul said these things. And lastly, we will look into the necessary course. It's like answering the question, what now? This is all about the Lordship of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. What do we do now as Christians? So that's what we're going to be looking into. So let's go to the first one. Let's look into the verbal confession. Here's one thing. Here's a reality. You confess the realities of your heart. Catch it? You confess the realities of your heart. You eat boneless lechon. What do you say? Perting lamia. Right? You confess the realities of your heart. If I text Rian, I tell her I love her, I confess the realities of my heart. Sometimes, it becomes like a template na lang for me. I will say, I love you. Sometimes, I step back and think about it once again. And say, ah, teka lang, medyo template na lang yun. So, sabi ko, I really love you and stuff like that. You confess the realities of your heart. You catch that? Meaning to say, whatever is in your heart, you start speaking it out. That's basically what confession is. Paul here highlights something. A confession in Romans chapter 9. Here's what he says. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord is the earliest creedal confession. We don't have to be confused with these things. When we say creeds, it's basically a summary of the different doctrines that you find in the Bible. They wrote it down into easily understandable, memorizable, if there's such a term, creeds. So that people can actually confess it. Now, the shortest one and the easiest one to memorize is this. Jesus is Lord. It is the briefest confession of faith as well. In victory, when we baptize someone, what do we do? We shout, yay! We do guitar. But in their time, when someone is baptized, they say, Jesus is Lord. Catch it? Everyone starts yelling, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. It becomes like a signature statement of the early church. Tayo sa victory, mahilig tayong magsabi ng, honor God, make disciples. We keep saying that, make disciples. But in the early church, they keep saying, Jesus is Lord. But guess what? These are not empty confessions. And I'll prove to you why these are not empty confessions. In the Roman Empire, they also hold on to a confession. And their confession is what? Caesar is Lord. So I want us to understand 
that you know what? Paul didn't make this up. He didn't just say, Jesus is Lord. No, it has a context because in the entire empire, everyone keeps saying, everyone keeps confessing, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord. Every single one that you talk to, everyone who submits under the Roman Empire would keep saying, Caesar is curious, Caesar is Lord. But for the believers, they cannot say that once you have been a Christian, you will say, Christus is curious, Jesus is Lord. It's not easy to say that. For us right now, Jesus is Lord. Those words easily roll out of our mouth. I'd like for us to understand verse 9 is a bold statement. It takes boldness. It takes courage. It takes faith to say the word, Jesus is Lord. Dili niya basta-basta lang malitok. You know why? Because during their time, when you say stuff like that, you don't say Caesar is Lord. It might mean that it will cost you your life. In our day right now, it's easy for us to say that. There's a global movement, a wonderful global movement called Jesus is Lord International. So when you say Jesus is Lord during their time, you think about that as the end of your life. Paano kaya sa atin? Sino sa inyo tinukso ng office mates nyo? Uy, andito na si Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Hindi, hindi, hindi. Hindi, sabihin mo na lang, oo, halika, pagprayang kita. You know, sometimes we shy away from mockery. We don't want persecution. Why? Because I don't want to be associated with Christianity because I'm engaging them. And come on now. You don't want to say that to the Lord Jesus Christ. It will cost them their life. It says here, because if you confess, the word confess here, it doesn't simply mean say. For us, kasi when we say confess, it simply means to say. But here, the word confess, if you look at it in its original Greek, it simply means to embrace. So when you say, when you confess Jesus is Lord, you embrace every single thing that the Bible says about Him. You embrace the fact of His deity. You embrace the fact of His humanity. You embrace the fact of His incarnation. You embrace the fact that He is the second person of the Trinity. That is what confession means. When you confess, you embrace who He is. Then it says here, you confess with your mouth. Right? I love it that Paul said this. You confess it with your mouth, meaning to say, if you're going to confess Jesus, do not confess His name in your bedroom. You confess it what? You confess it openly and publicly. You tell the people around you that yes, you consider and embrace and submit to Jesus as the Lord of your life. We ought to be outspoken about our faith to a listening and watching world. We have to preach the gospel. We have to preach the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. By doing so, perhaps it may cost us something. Perhaps mockery, confusion. Some of us could even lose our job by doing that. If we are in the United States right now, you say something like that, you could be kicked out of your job. But at the end of the day, if it is a reality of your heart, then it should be the confession of your mouth. So whether you are a senior high student in your classroom or working somewhere, or even if you're around your unbelieving family, when given the opportunity to pray during parties, during family reunions, sino tinatawag para magpray? Di ba tayo naman? Then grab the opportunity. Habang nagpe-pray kayo, singitan nyo na ng preaching. That's what we do in funeral services. Sinisingitan natin preaching mga prayers. That's what we do. We declare. We make confessions. We even prophesy to people. You don't wanna dodge this because Mark chapter 8, verse 28. Now look at this. This is some strong words. It says here, For whoever is ashamed of me, Sino nagsabi na ito? Si Jesus to. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man will also be ashamed when it comes in the glory of his Father and with his holy angels. 
association could possibly lead to persecution. It happens. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus also said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Catch it? So I have to say that because for some of us naman, we think that confessing is enough. Right? So we think that our association with victory or a church already makes us a Christian. It can lead us to Christianity. But mere association is not enough. Jesus himself said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Uy, ano pa? Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. Pero hindi naman backup ng life mo. And this is basically what Jesus is saying. It's not a magic formula. It's not like open sesame, the gates of heaven will open. No. Because like what I said, there has to be an inner reality. Which leads us to our next point, an internal commitment. There are two necessary things for salvation. First, there has to be an outward confession and an inward possession. To begin with, look at this. If you look at verse 9, there are two faculties involved here. And this is quite interesting. The two faculties involved here are, look, the mouth and the heart. Your mouth and your heart, it has a bearing and that is your salvation. So important po yung sinasabi natin tsaka yung pinapaniwalaan natin. These two things are connected. These two things are important. Now, when the heart and the mouth are involved, what do we have then? For your mouth, that is your confession. And with your heart, that is your faith. So these two should go hand in hand. If you look at verse 8, this is not part of what we're looking at here today. Pero it goes in step with verse 9 because it says here, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of the faith we proclaim. Let's go to verse 9 again. The word believe here simply means to entrust your life to. Remember in John chapter 3, verse 16, it says there, For God so loved the world that whosoever believes, right? That is the same word that we have here. The word believe there is not just simply saying, Oh, I believe in Jesus. It's not like that. Believe there simply means believe unto Him. It talks about submission. You believe unto Him. You submit to Him. And that is still what we have here. The word believe here is to entrust your life into. And that is what it says here. True saving faith has three elements and it has to be in this order. First is your mind. Second is your heart. And last will be your will. And allow me to explain this by giving an illustration. Let's say you are in the Titanic. 1912, you're one of the richest of the rich. You went to the Titanic and you were in one of the biggest suites that they have. All right, suite room. And you pay a hefty amount of money for it. And then while you were having your iced tea, you're having your bacon, whatever it is that you're on your gold-plated table, something happens. You heard from the radio that we have just hit an iceberg. The ship has just hit an iceberg. So what was fed was your mind. You got information. Something, a tragedy was mentioned and it occurred in your mind. But guess what? It doesn't end there. It should not end there. If you want to be saved, you don't just say, Oh, great. Oh, I felt that. But your heart should tell you that you have to do something. So your heart tells you, now, something's happening. The ship is sinking. I have to do something. Something that needs to happen. But guess what? Your emotion was already tugged. Your heart was already tugged to doing something. But without the will, all right, I think this is going to be it. Bye, mom. Bye, dad. But there's a lifeboat available. Your will brings you from your room running towards the lifeboat and getting off the ship. It is the same thing with true saving faith. 
We hear the gospel. Someone preaches the gospel. Someone will preach the gospel in Pakistan. Someone should be preach the gospel in India. Someone will preach the gospel to us. And it, guess what? It bothers us to know that we are not saved. It bothers us to understand about the wrath of God. But it should not end there. You have to do something. And that is what we have here. Through saving faith has three elements. The mind, the heart, and the will. So in that case, what are we supposed to believe as Christians? For those of you who've been attending victory, but you don't consider yourself a Christian, here's the question. What do you have to believe? And we have it here in verse 9, that God raised him from the dead. Still talks about the resurrection of Christ. You remove the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ. We are to be pitied by all men, the Bible teaches us. What is the effect of this confession and belief? Guess what? It says here, you will be saved. The effect of this confession and belief is salvation. Love that. The effect of the confession of the mouth, the belief, the internal commitment of the heart is our salvation. So here's the next question. Saved from what? Look at this. And this is very important. What are we saved from? You folks remember this in Romans chapter 1. We've talked about this in the first week of Gospel Explaining. What are we saved from? Are we saved from a bad boss? Are we saved from bad internet? Are we going to be saved from a miserable life? Are we saved from poverty? Though these things can happen, but that's not the fundamental issue. What are we saved from? Are you guys ready for this? We are saved from the divine wrath and the everlasting punishment from God himself. We're saved from the divine wrath and the everlasting punishment. In short, we are saved from the wrath of God. Not too many people who want to talk about this. We are saved from the wrath of God himself. And just to reiterate, perhaps, or to remind all of us, as we think about the beat, as we think about the nations of the world, as we think about Cambodia, Myanmar, as we think about Thailand, as we think about Pakistan, we think about Lebanon, as we think about people in the United States of America, as we think about your neighborhood in Banilad, in Bagakai, as you think about that, come to think of this, hell is a real place. It's not a work of imagination. Hell is a real address in the map of God. Catch it? And guess what? Let me just say this. Hell is filled. It's a place filled with good people. But have not really confessed that Jesus is Lord. Romans chapter 10 verse 10. It says here, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Have you observed that? Paul simply interchanged the order. Kanina, Jesus is Lord, confession before the internal commitment. Ngayon, inuna niya yung internal commitment bago yung confession. Meaning to say, there's no order to this. These two should happen in our life. In fact, in reality, there has to be the belief with the heart before there could be a confession of the mouth. Because confession verifies and confirms the faith of the heart. While I was working on this, it made me assess myself. Well, the challenge lang rin kasi for me is, you know, I'm a pastor, so much of my friends are church people. But it got me thinking that a good way to assess this is, have I been confessing enough? Am I confessing enough? Does my workmates actually know that I'm a Christian? Our neighbors? Do they actually know that I am a Christian? Am I confessing enough? How about in class reunions? My question here is, are we confessing enough? Because if we're not confessing enough, friends, 
Like what I said, confession is a reflection only of the realities of our heart. So it makes us assess as Christians. Now let's go to the doctrinal clarification. We're not going to come in this, but there's something that I want you to look into. He said, Jesus is Lord. Believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead. He backs it up with the four fours. Look at this. 11 to 13, it says here, four the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? And Paul starts quoting from different sections of the scripture. When he starts talking about the Lordship of Christ, he's not just making guilt trip. He's not just saying, Abba says Jesus is Lord. No, he backs it up from the Old Testament. He gives reasons, scriptural basis as to why it is important for us to understand that Jesus is Lord. Would you confess this for a while? Jesus is Lord. What does the Lordship of Christ demand of us? Have you ever thought about that? Submission, of course. Obedience. Priority and commitment. So having said all of those four, so think about this for a while. Is Jesus Lord over my life? Oh, That's a big question. How do I know? First, am I submitting myself to Him? Am I submitting my plans to Him? Am I submitting my future to Him? Am I submitting my finances to Him? Am I submitting my love life to Him? Am I submitting my marriage to Him? Secondly, priority. Is Jesus the priority of my life? Are worship services the priority of my Sunday? Because the Bible tells us not to give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. We don't understand this, but I'd like first of all, the reason why we want us to be gathered together. Why? Because worship service is a means of grace. We grow together as we do communion together. We grow together as we come together. We grow together as we worship together. If you do things remotely and you don't want to attend worship services, question is, is Jesus the priority over your life? Is Jesus Lord over your life? I don't care if you do Netflix in the evening up until like 2 in the morning as long as you make sure you get up in the morning for worship services ready to meet the Lord. That is important because it shows the priorities of our heart. Next one is, are we obedient to Him? Archie, is Jesus Lord over your life? I cannot just say yes. I have to make sure first that I obey Him. Am I obeying Christ? Because if I'm obeying Him, then I will have the audacity to say, yes, Jesus is Lord over my life. I don't know with you, but isn't it true that Jesus would want us to obey from different aspects of our life? And that is only true if we have a communion with God Himself, with Jesus Himself. And lastly, do we have commitment for Jesus? Are we going to give it our all for Christ? I love the discussion that we had in our parenting seminar because we started talking about at the end of the day this is a battle of passion people keep saying this is a battle of purity but in reality this is a battle of passion what are you passionate about because if you're passionate about one thing you give it your all into it 
If you're passionate about one thing, you are willing to turn your backs to the rest of the other things that will not matter. So my question is, are we passionate for Christ? Are we committed to Christ? If we are, then indeed Jesus is our Lord. Friends, like what I said, in their time, when they say Jesus is Lord, it will cost them their life. For us, it will not cost us our life. Come on now. Unless we go to dangerous nations. But perhaps for some of you, perhaps God is calling you to be a cross-cultural missionary. Jesus is Lord is when you obey. If you're willing to leave behind a lucrative offer to become a cross-cultural missionary, what Lord of all nations, not New York? Isn't it that New York is a difficult place to be in? Well, God can call us to be cross-cultural missionaries in those places because it matters. But for cross-cultural missionaries of other organizations, they don't care. God calls us here. They're willing to go out there. I've just met a couple last year who attended our church. They're not from Victory. But guess what? They left everything in Cebu and became what? A missionary in the hinterlands of Palawan. Techie people, IT people left behind their jobs and served not in Puerto Princesa, but in the hinterlands of Palawan. You know, sometimes lordship means we go out of our convenience. Sometimes lordship means we go out of our comfort zone and just serve out there. I asked a friend to perhaps go to different mission trips. I was talking with some of our staff who was willing to go to the nation of Pakistan. But there's a catch. You go to the nation of Pakistan first, you might have a difficult time like Archie. You might have a difficult time with this U.S. visa. Are you willing to go through these things? You know, this is cut differently for different people. I'm not giving this out as a template, but I know for a fact, if we have a relationship with God, God will speak to us. God will talk to us. And when He does, I pray that we will obey. I pray that we will commit. I pray that we will make it our priority. And last one, last but not the least, the necessity of gospel preaching. The necessary course. Here it is. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You look at church history, here's what you will find out. You will find out that the church had different seasons. During the season that the church was so powerful, it is the time that the church was preaching the gospel. Not entertaining crowds. Preachers preaching the gospel. Preachers not being entertainers. When in the Bible is the church most powerful? Book of Acts. One in four verses of Book of Acts talks about preaching the gospel. Mighty growth happened. Mighty expansion happened in the church. Why? Because they preach the gospel. The necessary course is to preach the gospel. Romans chapter 10 verse 14. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
Take note, it says here, it talks about the word heard. They have never heard. It gives us a picture that the gospel should be heard. The gospel then should be preached. Well, I'm not saying that a person will not be converted by reading the gospel, by reading some books, but fundamentally, initially, the gospel has to be preached. Someone has to go and start preaching the gospel. Not even sharing the gospel. Not even telling the gospel. That is not what it means. It means preaching the gospel. Heralding the gospel. It's not like, ganang ka mag-join sa victory. O, basa lang ning one-to-one. You preach to them. We preach to them. The gospel is designed to be heralded. Gospel has to be proclaimed. You know, preaching is very important. And I'm not the only preacher here. We are all preachers. God has called us to preach in different demographics, different groups of people we may have around us. But let me just remind us, friends, that when we preach the gospel, Christ should not be abandoned on the pulpit. That when we preach, people will not leave having a good impression about our, how beautiful our family is. No, but they should have an impression of how beautiful the Lord Jesus Christ is. How beautiful and glorious God is. That is preaching the gospel. That is not merely entertainment. If I will be known as a Francisco, man, then I have failed. If I keep talking about finance, this is how you ought to deal with your life. If I keep talking about social justice more than gospel, I have failed. You know why? Because if I go through, if I carefully exegete scripture and preach the gospel, I will touch different social issues in our life. But I will not focus on them. I will focus on the gospel because at the end of the day, the cure is only the gospel of Christ. I cannot be known as a leadership guru, as a financial guru. If I will be known for my jokes more than the preaching of God's word, then I have failed. And it is true for every single one of us who will be preaching the gospel. We have to preach the gospel in its purest form as to what the Word of God says. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? The word preach here is the word caruso, which means to lift up the voice and announce and proclaim. During their time, there were different caruso, there were different heralds actually. When Rome would annex a new city, they will start yelling in the street, Here ye, here ye, here ye, we have taken in and conquered a new city. That is what proclaiming is. And basically, you know, Paul has this in his mind when he starts talking about preaching the gospel. How are they to preach unless they are sent? Yun. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It says here, unless they are sent. Meaning to say, there has to be a sending body. A sending body should be present. Who is the sending body? The church. No wonder we have biblical foundations class, church community class, making disciples class, leadership 113. These are just routes that we take to equip us for us to be commissioned to preach the gospel. At the end of the day, every single one of us is commissioned to preach the gospel. But perhaps down the road, we will commission some of you to be in different nations to preach the gospel. What is obvious here, no one can be saved without hearing and responding to the gospel. When we're in front of Christ in heaven, we will give an account. Kaya pala sabi, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. 
Ang tanong dito, saan-saan nakakarating yung mga paa natin? Sunflower field? Tokyo? No problem actually. God would love for us to have those things. But when it comes to preaching the gospel, saan-saan nakakarating yung mga paa natin? Assess ko kaya sarili ko. We need to be committed to missions as a church. We have to be. I think if you ask me, we will cease to be a church when that time comes when we have given up supporting missions. What do we do with these things first? We have to assess ourselves. Is Jesus Lord over our life? Are we confessing enough? Is this a reality of our heart? Or church, church lang? Secondly, are we bringing out the gospel, preaching the gospel in the nations of the world? How are we utilizing our Twitter, our Facebook, our Instagram, our IG stories? Are we using this as platforms to preach the gospel? Because these things can help. Amen. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victorytumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.